Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to 321 No Bobby the Awesome here. Appreciate you joining me today. I am gonna finally kind of catch you up on why I had my little sabbatical and share with you some of the lessons I learned along the way because pretty much from the beginning of May until Geez, things are just starting to settle down here mid-July. We've had a lot, lot going on in my world. And I mentioned this, I think, on one of my other shows that I think I'm going to write a book called Rock Bottom Recovery because I feel like this has been the biggest test of my life to not gamble, to not drink, to not go off the deep end when trying to cope with what life was throwing my way. So at the end of May, no, I'm sorry, the end of April, I had gone to Miami for a conference to go learn and did a little bit of a road trip, went out to Oklahoma City and Tennessee and Wisconsin. And I'll have to fill you in on my Wisconsin visit another time, but got to reconnect with an old friend and learn some lessons there, but I really want to catch you up and kind of all the, the other things. So we'll talk about that another day. Any rate, I was driving home from Wisconsin, which I was very fortunate. I stopped in Chicago and on mother's day and got to meet one of my employees that is from the Philippines and she's visiting her mom in Chicago. So I got to meet her. So that was excellent. But Prior to that Mother's Day morning, I'd called my mother, you know, like most people do, and she was pretty upset. And unfortunately, this is not quite a new development. You know, she she has her share of emotions, and she was frustrated by some stuff with my niece and my brother and just everything. She was stressed out, and she was overwhelmed, and when I talked to you about keeping your bucket, uh, scooping out the negative and replenishing with positive, this was the exact opposite of mom's state on this particular morning. She was, her bucket was overflowing with the negative and she hadn't had enough, I don't know, time, wherewithal, clarity, whatever it was to replenish her bucket with positive things. So she was distressed and, and she actually hung up on me. And in the course of our conversation, um, I knew she didn't have some facts right, or at least as I understood them. So I believe, and I guess this would be one of the lessons, right? I believe that arguing or trying to illustrate a point or share a point with someone when they're, you know, when they're emotional, it's it's not going to be received very well. And I wasn't sure that I had all my facts. So I wanted to get in touch with my niece and figure out what was going on. And you know, if, if mom had her facts, right. So I didn't get in touch with Kai until way later that night. And I had talked to my, my counselor actually, and was like, mom's pretty upset. I don't know what to do. Um, I didn't want to really push the envelope. And she said to send her a text. So I did on Monday morning. 
and, you know, to kind of leave the door open. Well, I never heard from her Monday. And Tuesday morning, I get a call from who I call my stepfather, Polly. And it was really bizarre. It was really early in the morning. Like I said, this is the Tuesday after Mother's Day. And he says, Bob, are you sitting down? Are you sitting down, Bob? Which really, obviously, made me nervous. And I'm like, what's going on? And uh, he let me know that Mom was in the hospital. And it was pretty serious. And... Of course, you know, I, I'm i home from a, a road trip about 24 hours and it was time to get into gear and get my butt to Connecticut, which is a couple hour ride, about two, two and a half hours. So in the midst of trying to get ready to go, of course, you know, the, the family is starting to get notified by Polly we have the, the issue of telling my brother, who also could be pretty emotional, and I didn't really want to tell him over the phone that mom was in the hospital. And it's important to understand, he talks to mom every single day. Uh, they talk or text or, or do their thing. They have their little rhythm, which I suppose is good for both of them on some level. So I was trying to figure out how to handle that, and one of my uncle's offered to help with handling him. Uh, so we were trying to connect with him to meet for lunch. My uncle could make it down quicker than I could, but even when I called my brother to set it up, he, he thought we were trying to lock him up because, you know, he has his challenges and he's not well. And I still think he needs more help than he chose to get. And this is hard because I don't know if mom's going to listen Mom listens to the show quite a bit, and I don't want to hurt her feelings uh, or say anything that will upset her. So I'm, I'm going to choose my words carefully. I don't like doing that, but I don't also want to look to cause harm. So I think my brother needs more help than he's ever gotten. But it's not my decision, and it's just my opinion. So... At any rate, he thought we were trying to lock him up in some mental institution, and that's why we were meeting him for lunch and um, all the things. And, and because they speak every day, he knew something was wrong. So I had to end up telling him that mom was in the hospital before my uncle could meet him for lunch, before I can get down there. Now, I also want you to know that, and I've shared this before, uh, starting last summer sometime, there was some conflict between my uncle, not the one who took my brother to lunch. Sorry, there's a lot of uncles. Uh, but my uncle and one of the family friends that I consider an uncle. And there's been a lot of drama, I guess is the best word because that's what it feels like. But people's feelings were hurt and it snowballed. And then people tried to get involved and fix it. What ended up happening was the problem just got escalated and none of these relationships have been repaired uh, to a way that returned everybody back to normal life. So that's happening in the background. So I get down to Connecticut and uh, we can't see mom between COVID and one visitor and her being watched and all these things. So it's a pretty rough, rough start. And 
at first my mission was kind of to take care of Polly as well as mom and, and the family and stuff. And we didn't know the severity of it. And I'm not sure if I shared this before, but Paul was an alcoholic, is an alcoholic, and he had been sober for a really long period of time, and he recently started drinking again, and by recently, I mean in the last maybe two years, and I knew about it. Mom had told me, and it had escalated, and Polly and I are pretty close, and he told me as well, and he also said that one of the stressors that contributed to his drinking was uh, some of this relationship stuff with my brother and, and my mother and my brother's relationship, whatever. Like I said, I won't really get into to that because I, I don't want to hurt my mother's feelings. So, uh, me being in Connecticut and, and Polly drinking, you know, it's not something that he threw in my face. He wouldn't like sit down with a beer. He was kind of more of a sneak the Jack Daniels and, um, you know, I never really saw it. I saw it once. But in, in general, it wasn't like an in-your-face kind of drinking. So some of this is a little a little blurry, so I apologize. I won't give you the exact play-by-play, but we created a Facebook group, got all the friends and family that needed to know that I could, you know, that I could remember in the moment. And here's another lesson, guys. You know, when there's a, a family emergency or, or something going on, I tried to remember everybody that I needed to tell, and I'll be honest, uh, I didn't. I didn't figure out everybody. It still took a few weeks, and and still people were showing up that I didn't either know or think of in the chaos. So that happens, and luckily the people in my life were gracious enough to allow me a little like, it's okay, Bobby. You know, we know you got a lot going on. So in this group, there's a third uncle. I guess I can call him Uncle One, Uncle Two, and Uncle Three. Uh, But Uncle Three, Mom has elected to not talk to uh, her and my brother both because he beat up my brother 17 years ago, which is inappropriate in the family in general. But there's been, you know, there's been no resolve in that issue. But I even included him in this group. And he's, he's his own worst enemy, really, in my opinion. So again, I'm just sharing my opinions through my recovery lens. He's been in a program for over 20 years, maybe even close to 30 that he's been sober. Um, My opinion is he still acts like a dry drunk. Hamas tries too hard. I just, I'm friendly to him because that's who I want to be. But it's also very uncomfortable, you know, like I'm not trying to pick sides. Of course, you know, I would align with my mother, even though I've come to learn through my journey that forgiveness is one of the best cures for our own selves. You know, it's it's not about her making uncle number three feel better. It's about me wanting her to have peace, which is why I wish she would, you know, let the resentment go again. Not my, not my problem, but I let him in this group, which was kind of a stressor because for someone who my mother didn't talk to, of course he had the most questions and, 
you know, it was just kind of annoying because the reason I created the group with say 20 people in it was so that I didn't have to repeat the messages 20 times. Like I didn't want to make all those phone calls. It's draining. It's draining when you're dealing with a crisis and you know, you're like, I found myself really trying to console other people or, you know, to inform other people, whatever that process was. Again, it's, it's who I am, but it was draining. And when I talk about keeping our cup full of the positive, I have to tell you that it's a good thing that I practiced my recovery the way I did leading up to all the things that started to transpire with starting with mom being in the hospital because I would not have been capable. So she goes in the hospital on Tuesday. On Thursday morning, I'm supposed to be going to get um, some blood work done. So I drive up to New York to go to the doctors and at, at this point, I'm already starting to talk to um, one of my friends, a counselor, just about every day. And this particular day happened to be her birthday, my counselor's birthday. And after me, like, freaking out, I think I think my brother had said something inappropriate in the group. And I wanted to kick him out of the group. And we were trying to navigate how I should handle that situation. Because here's another thing, guys. If you're emotional, you might not make the best decisions. So having resources that can be honest with you and tell you they think you're wrong or give you guidance that you might not have thought of. If you can have those people in your life, like treasure them. And she basically explained to me that when we unfriend or block family, you know, it's, it's just more detrimental than if we you know, block the jerk from high school or, or whatever. So she had me considering that, but like I said, it was her birthday and I don't know, six weeks ago prior to this, um, the, the director of our program at the gambling center was in the hospital and we had gotten word, you know, to start preparing for the worst, but then something changed. And I, and when I was on my road trip, I actually talked to him. He had moved to rehab and he sounded good. And we had a great conversation. And this morning of her birthday, she informed me that he passed away six weeks later. So I felt really, really blindsided because I wasn't prepared. You know, like it was, it was worse than the first time when I kind of was expecting it. And I got to send him a text and and tell him how much I loved him and appreciated him. So it was, it was okay. Mom's in the hospital. Take care of this. Um, you know, Bill passed away. I'm, I'm not sure that I even had really an opportunity to mourn that because I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm a responsible person, and I was in action mode. Right? It was about getting back to Connecticut, making sure that Paul was eating um, and sleeping, and you know, just trying to keep everything together. So mom ends up on a ventilator and this was my first experience other than last year the the friend of the family that was involved in some of this uh, discontent, he was in the hospital with COVID last December and he was on a vent and earlier in 2020 when 
one of the recovery coaches from the center was, had COVID and was on event. He never came out of the hospital. So my association with event from Oscar was that people die. Like you don't come off event. But then when, when Vic was in the hospital at Christmas and he did come off the event and he did survive COVID, I kind of had that perspective. So it was like a 50-50 chance, right? Whether people live or die going on event. I just knew being on event was bad, very bad and very serious. So she was in ICU and we'd go visit and there, you know, she's, she's strapped to the bed so that she can't pull tubes out and stuff. And, um, her body was going through a ton of things. We weren't getting real clear answers. The hospital was pretty good with communication. You know, there was daily calls and I would update the Facebook group and, there wasn't a lot of progress one way or another. I was trying to be optimistic the best I could. And we knew the clock was ticking because the thing about event, if I understand it right, is you can't be on it for long periods of time. And, and by that, I mean like more than three weeks, you have to start thinking about some other things, some other options. So those conversations were starting to brew and We'll call him uncle number one that came down for lunch. He is very inquisitive and he, he means well and he has a big heart, uh, but he asked a lot of freaking questions and his brain was spiraling and we all have to cope with things different ways. And that's another lesson I'd like to call out. Let's not judge, right? In crisis mode or emergency mode, everybody's going to do things different. And again, Thanks to my recovery and learning what I've learned about myself and about other people, um, I, I had to allow grace for people handling things the way they were. But it, it made things a little stressful. So he's asking the questions and, you know, I'd find myself Googling about the vent and choices and they were starting to talk about a tracheotomy for mom. So we're at about week two and it's a Saturday morning and I'm now staying in Connecticut a lot of the time. I'm trying to get back and forth to New York because I'm moving out of my apartment July 1st. That's when I told my people that I would be out. So I still have to pack and move. And at this point, I don't have the brain capacity to work or podcast um, or just communicate in any other way. I was drained. Um, it was it was a lot. So this Saturday morning, Polly and I would go out on the back porch pretty much whether I was visiting or in this case staying there and we'd go out and have our coffee and our cigarettes and sometimes we'd talk and sometimes we wouldn't we'd play our games on our phone it was like our version of quality time and I look on Facebook and I have a message from my cousin's ex-boyfriend I know there's a lot of characters in this um, and I don't know how to simplify it. I'm doing my best. So thank you for bearing with me. So a message came in at 4.30 in the morning from him saying, do I know how to get in touch with uncle number three? No, uncle number two. Sorry, her father. Uncle number two, he'll be. Gonna have to keep this straight. And uh, it was weird, right? 4.30 Saturday morning. So late Friday night, however you want to look at it. So I reach out to my cousin no answer. So then I call uncle number two, no answer. So then I call his girlfriend 
and she sounds surprised to hear from me and she gets my uncle on the phone and come to find out they're in the emergency room and my cousin has been ran over deliberately intentionally ran over by a jeep by a car there had been some sort of altercation they were out at the bar she doesn't really remember a lot of what happened but this girl beat her up in the bar and evidently that wasn't good enough uh, that she chased her down and ran her over so at this point it's two weeks mom's been in the hospital just about and now Danny's in the hospital and Danny just turned 30 the week before 31 31 the week before and um it was it was pretty freaking shocking and devastating and added another whole layer of complexity and um she had she had uh, a bone that was broken in her neck her pelvis, pelvic bone was broken, her ribs, her lungs were collapsed. Basically, her whole torso was damaged, and now she was in ICU. And as the week unfolded, she had, I think, three surgeries that first week. And um, believe it or not, uh, within two weeks, she was walking. I, I I still do not know how that was possible. The lesson with her was that she just had this positive attitude. Like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to do the things. It'll be all right. And she was her own cheerleader. And she was a cheerleader for the rest of us. And it worked. Her body was um, healing in its own way. Like I said, I, I can't even imagine three surgeries in one week. Right, like when I had my hysterectomy, I was on the couch for about eight weeks. I'm a big fat baby. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but to go to have your body go through that much stuff is just crazy. So it's getting close to Memorial Day, and we have to make a decision about my mother. And she had a living will, and it said no machines. And here she was on a machine. So in the background, I'm not, I mean, Paul knew about the living will and I was trying to kind of keep it a secret because I felt like if I said it out loud, I'd have to tell them to unplug her and, and to let her go. And I was really struggling with that. I was struggling with not being really honest and transparent with the doctors, not knowing what to do, um, reconciling it with myself, reconciling it, making sure that Polly and I were on the same page. And because Paul and my mom were not technically married, I was the decision maker. So it all ended with me. And what I had learned in 2020 when dealing with the funeral for my biological father was everybody grieves and does things different ways. So I had that experience and that was What I was trying to apply in this situation was mom had a lot of brothers that cared about her. Uncle number four, we'll call him, was in Colorado and he was, you know, checking in and trying to decide when to come. And he had decided to come Memorial Day weekend. So it was time to have a family meeting and decide whether or not we let mom go or 
have the tracheotomy or tracheostomy. I don't know. However you say that word. So around week two, I was prepared to let her go because of this living will and because it was horrible. It was horrible to see her this way um, where she couldn't communicate and it it was just horrible. Um, But then on one of my visits, she started getting to where like, you know, I'm her daughter, right? So I know what her body language or her eyes say. And on this one particular day, I said to the doctor, um, and he was the first one that was real and nobody knew this was going on in, in mine, in his conversations. And it was, you know, him and I were talking about the fact that we might have to let her go. And he was being a little bit more realistic, um, instead of, you know, like fake optimism or whatever. So at that point, like I said, I was getting ready and that's where I thought the family meeting was going to go. But but the week leading up to it, I was like, all right, I got to tell her what's going on. You know, I watch too much TV probably like everybody else. And even my cousin said this when she was in the hospital, she's like, I want to get on the phone and yell at Aunt Sharon and tell her to get better. And, um, and I knew what she meant. And, and I probably went into the room that day feeling like I wanted a TV happy ending too. I mean, we all, we all talked about this throughout the processes, you know, we all wanted to say the thing and have her wake up and have a happy ending and all that stuff. And I said to the doctor, I said, you know, I gotta, I gotta talk to her about some serious stuff. I, I don't know. I don't want to like stress her out, but I also need to say this stuff. So it was at that point that I had this conversation with her and I was like, listen, I, I, I got your living will. I know you don't want to be on machines. We're getting to the point where I have to make this decision. I really don't want to make it alone. I need to know that you're willing to fight for your life. Like, I need to know that on some level. Do you want to live? And at this point in the progress, um, she she was able to communicate to me in a way that I thought she was committing to wanting to live. Um, she nodded. Uh, we asked again a couple minutes later in a different way. The doctor was in the room. We both walked out and I was like, she said she wanted to live, right? Like you saw that, you know, cause you, you second guess yourself and, and you don't know. So throughout that week, she started improving a little, like they're always trying to get you off the vent and mom has asthma and has Himalayan salts everywhere, salt lamps everywhere in the house and, and breathing's always been a thing. So that was pretty scary. And she was, some days she would do good on what they call the wean and other days she wouldn't. And it was quite the roller coaster. She started to show some improvement that week leading up to the the family meeting. And at that point, I've done some research on the trach and a couple things could have happened. She could have the surgery and maybe have the trach in for the rest of her life maybe never be able to talk or eat or do normal things, have a stomach bag, you know, like they tell you all the worst things or maybe she'd heal and recover. We had no idea, but the fact she told me she wanted to try to live, told me that we had to try and we had to do this. So we got the ball rolling. Um, it was the first time that Kai was going to see her. So me and Kai get to the hospital and the doctor called about the surgery and I had to sign off on paperwork and all that stuff. So I go up and, um, 
the doctor is going over all the paperwork and I, and I had him do it in the room because in my mind she was hearing and understanding things like I, she was, she was having some hallucinations and some, some weird stuff, but I just somehow believed that she understood certain things. I just, I just believed that. So I had him read all the things while about the surgery, the risks, you know, what it looked like, all those things in front of her. And, um, and I was comfortable with that. And I, and I still think she understood what was going on at the time. So she goes in for surgery on that. Oh, sorry. I forgot about the family meeting. I'm trying to keep this straight. So the family meeting comes and I let the doctors do all the explaining, right? Because here's another thing. I have a big freaking mouth and I'm opinionated, but this was not the time or place. I did not have the expertise. I had my gut feeling. I had that conversation with mom, but that was really all I had to go on. And I, I don't know if this is a business lesson or a relationship lesson, but it was really important that people got the facts and made up their own mind and made their decisions and that we got to consensus in, in a healthy way, right? Because just by the way that the hospital treated us with signing off and who can talk and all the things, you can tell that families have a lot of, again, drama is the only word, but there's a lot that goes into family dynamics. And when you put the stress of emotional decisions like this, and you feel like you're literally taking somebody else's life into your hands, I can see how that could be very freaking horrible and tear families apart. And I didn't want that. So like I said, I let the, I went into the meeting, uh, Paul and I in agreement that we were going to go through with the surgery, but I had to give all the uncles a chance and to hear. And by then uncle number four had flown in, and uncle number one and two were in the room and, and Kai was with me and Polly. And, um, by the end of it, everybody agreed to go through with the surgery and, you know, they had gotten their facts. They got to ask their questions. So it wasn't about me and my ego and me having the biggest voice in the room. And, and this is so important because guys, it's really not about being the loudest voice, right? It was about, um, what is that word? Consensus. It was about consensus. So we had consensus. She would have the surgery. And, um, that Friday she did. So I was with her when they took her off to surgery. It was Friday afternoon at like one o'clock and I left the hospital. And when I went back at six o'clock after surgery, she was like a brand new person. And I was flabbergasted by how well, like to me, when you have surgery afterwards, you need to, you know, heal, recover. Like you just, you just need to rest. And this was like an instant improvement. I mean, she obviously wasn't doing cartwheels or anything, but it was almost like getting her off the vent. The vent was holding her down on some, some level. So there was improvement right away. Uh, within a day or two, she got moved to a different part of ICU. Um, progress started happening. She started getting, she had the trach in, had a horsey voice. Um, and the, <laughs> here's another fun 
thing that was happening in the background. <coughs> Excuse me. When she first got into the hospital, this lady came up to me that introduced herself as a social worker. She was asking me a lot of questions about, you know, uh, me, Paul, my brother, children, her brothers, and trying to get the lay of the land. But she never really told me what her job was, um, like what her role was. And what I found out later after mom had the trait, she like resurfaces and is like, okay, well now we got to start thinking about where to send mom to rehab. Uh, okay. And she said something to the effect of she was working on it in the background and she was just a poor communicator. And I guess the lesson for this, I could have handled it much better and I won't give you excuses. Um, but she was really frustrating to me. And I told Paul, early on she had called Paul in and basically I thought that we were she was a resource like to help with mom's mental health so Paul went in prepared to talk about you know like how to help mom with mental health stuff and this lady pretty much said well by law Bobby's in charge and you have no say which which just was not what Paul expected not what I expected and I thought it was a very unprofessional way to handle it. Like, she should have at least told me that's, that's what she was going to do. I could have navigated Paul. Um, you know, I don't know what the rules are, but I decided after that point I was not working with her again. So she resurfaces after the trait, like, okay. And um, I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to work with you. I don't think you communicate well enough with me. You know, I'm kind of a... A business. I don't. I don't care about all the fluff. I want to just get to the point. I want to be communicated with well and efficiently. This is just who I am. So, for lack of a better word, we'll just say it was a personality conflict or a different style. So, um, they ended up getting us a new social worker who Paul and I sit down with, and she says, "Well, you know, we probably got to send your mother to New Jersey." which was another stressing point because it was a couple hours away and we didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, she was on the right track, starting to heal. Gets moved to a normal room eventually. I walk in one day and um, she had told me... So somewhere in the midst of this, I had... When she moved into the normal room, I was traveling. I had gone to Dallas. I had committed to a conference. Um, Paul said he was okay. She was... She was improving every day. So I went to the conference and while I was there, a doctor called me and said, you know, your mom wants to know, can you come visit? And this was part of like the delusionalness. She didn't really understand where she was. Um, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, 2000 miles away. Uh, and then a couple days later while I was in Dallas, the phone rings and it was her. She was talking. Um, scratchy voice. It almost sounded mechanical, but she was talking. And uh, by the end of that week, I think she was eating yogurt. So here she was eating and speaking and progressing and, and things were going well. And we still didn't know where she was going. There was a lot, a lot of limbo. So New Jersey, uh, come to find out because I think because she had the trach in, they didn't want her. Like if she was on the ventilator, they would have taken her, but because she wasn't, whatever it was, she didn't meet the criteria. So now they're talking about Connecticut options. And again, you know, I'm not going to complain. I know that people did the best they could, but 
I'm getting a call from, you know, one place in Connecticut that sounds like they're ready to onboard her. We want her to go to a different place. Um, All of a sudden, the Friday before 4th of July, now, all right, I'm going too fast. I think she's going to this one place. And Father's Day weekend... I apologize for my chronological mess. I guess this is probably why I should have podcasted as everything was going on. Um, My friend came in to make sure I was okay. You know, we were about four or five weeks into mom being in the hospital. Um, My friend knew about Danny, knew about, you know, all the stress. You know, I think they say like, just moving is one of the top stressors in life. So never mind moving while you're trying to, uh, you know, be the matriarch and take care of all these things. And I, and I'm not saying this from a pity pot perspective, just as a, the stress levels were really freaking high. Like if there was a point in my time where it would have been really nice to go run away to the casino and not have to think about all the shit that was going on. Yeah, this was the time. So one of my friends who's also in recovery comes out, tries to help, um, get me refill my bucket. Right. So we go up, we play ski ball, we have ice cream. Um, I got in trouble for making us have ice cream before dinner and not being ready for dinner, but that's okay. Um, he went to the funeral with me for bill because the memorial didn't happen until then drove to Connecticut to do Kylie's birthday dinner. I mean, just supported me in any way possible to help get me through. It was, it was the friend that I needed. And he is one of the people who understood me and my recovery and helped me recover, you know, replenish my cup, refill my cup, give me a little bit of distraction. We meditated, you know, we just did all the things to take care of Bobby. And that was really his purpose to come out was, was to help me you know, start putting the pieces back together. So that was, uh, father's day weekend and he left on Monday. So even though we visited mom in the hospital on Sunday, because I had been in New York and, and took in that time out for me, which by the way, guys, I'm the absolute preacher of self care. Right. So that was a really important thing for me to do. Refill my cup and take care of myself for a few days. And I wanted to stay on that trajectory. So I had decided I'd run to Connecticut on Tuesday, see mom again, and then head back home and be home in New York in time to go to Zumba. I had one more, I had a carload of things that I I needed to drop off. I needed to drop something off at my uncle's house. And then I was going to go to the hospital and then I was going to be back in New York for Zumba. Now guys, I don't think I could imagine what I'm about to tell you and and write a fictional story. Um, This is absolutely crazy. So I get down. The social worker had called me at like 10 o'clock in the morning to give me an update um, on mom. And I had left Polly a message. Now, to be clear... Uh, Paul and I were, had a very 
open, honest way of communicating. Um, we generally agreed. If we didn't agree, we could talk through it. No problem. We communicated very well together. And when mom first went in the hospital, I had told him and my brother and everybody that was having this family drama. I'm like, listen, guys. And, and this was before I had to make the decision about the ventilator or while I was making that decision. I'm like, listen, if everybody's going to keep acting like assholes, essentially, or immature or not do the right things, um, what's the point of keeping mom alive? She's stressed at work. She's stressed at home. Um, you know, Polly's drinking. John's not getting help. Like all the things. And I was pretty clear with everybody, like ship up or sheep out. Like I'm going to protect mom and you guys need to step up and, and do the right things. So Polly had taken that to heart and he had gone to detox, uh, somewhere along the process. So he went down to the VA and he detoxed for a couple days, um, and then came home. I, I had wished he stayed in for a longer treatment, but he wanted to be close to mom. So it was the best compromise. And so from that point on after detox, he wasn't drinking which was fabulous. So on this Tuesday, the social worker, Tuesday after Father's Day, social worker calls me and says, um, whatever about moving mom. So I, I send Polly a voice memo and I don't hear from him and I don't think anything of it. Okay. Maybe he's busy at work, whatever. So I get down to Connecticut and as I get off the on-ramp, I just have this feeling in my gut. It's a couple hours since I left him the message and I'm like, frick. If he's home, that means he's drinking again. It was just this yucky feeling I had in my gut. And sure enough, I pull in, his car's there, he's in bed. And um, I just unload my car and I start getting pissed off, honestly. I'm like, what the fuck? Um, I, I, I'm frustrated. I'm like, I'm not going to wake him up, like, whatever. Um, I, I was disappointed, I was frustrated. And I was also feeling a little guilty because like, well, what if I was there over the weekend? Maybe I wouldn't have been drinking or what if I didn't go to Dallas or, or whatever, but I, I needed to take care of myself. Um, so all those things were kind of going through my head, ran to my uncle's to drop off stuff. And in the meanwhile, Polly wakes up and he calls me and he says, Bob, I'm not doing good. I'm back drinking again. I need to go back to the VA. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to stay at least a week this time. I'm going to call an Uber. So when he said he'd be going a week, I was like, okay, well, that's good. Like, I want him to get good treatment. However, they had my niece's cat at the house, and I still needed to go finish packing for New York. Um, and I was trying to get home to Zumba. So I didn't offer to drive him. I didn't offer to drive him to the VA. It was about a half an hour away. And, um, a lot of the family was away on a vacation together. So there was no other resources. So he said he was going to call an Uber and I'm like, well, I can't stay down here just to take care of the cat. So I call my niece. She meets me at the house to pick up the cat. And, uh, Polly's still sitting there when I get there about a half an hour later. And I was like, did you change your mind? And he said, no, I can't get the Uber app to work on my phone. So I said, okay, well, we'll do it on my phone. So call an Uber from my phone. He said, okay, well, I'm going to go up to the hospital, get the cat out of there. I was like, I'm going to go over to the hospital. You'd be with mom. 
Now, I still was like in this mode of a little frustrated with Polly, frustrated that I didn't make it back to Zumba. And it, it wasn't just about going to Zumba. It was about I'm moving out of New York and I wanted to see my friends before I left. So it was more than just the actual dancing and, and self-care piece of it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very adamant when I talk to you guys about practicing what I preach. And I'll always tell you to protect yourself and take care of yourself because you couldn't, you can't help other people unless you do and that you should do self-care and, you know, uh, talking about it in the terms of being self-devoted instead of selfish. And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to practice what I preach, what I believe in and what I think helps. But I'll be honest, um, I still have guilt about those choices that day. So I didn't bring them. And, uh, I'm in mom's hospital room and I check the Uber and it says he's a minute away. So I text Polly, Hey, Uber's a minute away. He texts back. Okay. And a couple minutes go by. I look at the app and, um, I message the driver and I'm like, do you have him? He's, and he's he ends up calling me and he's like, I don't, I, I don't see him. And, and I give him better directions. I said, it looks like you might be at the bottom of the hill. You need to go to the top of the hill. And he goes, is he wearing a hat? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, okay. I think I see him. He hangs up. A few minutes later, he calls back and tells me that uh, Polly had fallen, that he was on the ground. And he ends up putting um, a police officer on the phone. And the police officer tells me that he has a fall. And I'm thinking, he's drunk. He fell down. The cop is telling me he's going to have the ambulance bring him to a hospital. I offered, you know, to go back. And he says, no, just we'll we'll bring him to the hospital. I said, well, you know, we're having a party here at this hospital. This is where me and mom are. Why don't you send him here? So they do. And I visit with mom a little longer. And, you know, I give it an hour or two. And I go down to the ER to check on him. And in my head, I'm going down to... um, you know, make sure he's okay. Make sure the hospital knows that we want to move to the VA to go detox and get help. And, um, I go to walk into the ER and on the right hand wall, there's two people and I hear my name. Well, it's my aunt and uncle. And now I know that my aunt had COVID because she had been trying to go see my mother for weeks, but she'd gotten COVID. So she couldn't go see her. So there they are in the ER. A few weeks later, the COVID wasn't getting any better. So they were there and I'm sitting and I'm, you know, well, I went and I checked in and they, the ER told me to have a seat. So I'm visiting with them and after, and I'm okay. Like I'm okay visiting with them, um, catching up and from six feet away, mind you. Um, so this man comes and he gets me and he brings me in this room. And I, he says, well, you know, so, so you have some privacy. And I get it. HIPAA, privacy, it's all good. And I don't think anything of it. So I go in this room, and I'm playing a game on my phone, and I'm waiting, 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 waiting. And I look around the room, and I realize that the only thing in the room is some tables and some, like, um, coffee tables with boxes of tissue on them. And I'm like, am I in the freaking death room? Like, that's what starts going through my head. And now I start getting a little uneasy. And I wait a little longer, and these two doctors come in. And basically, they tell me that Paul's fall had led to a brain bleed. 
and that they were looking to move him to another hospital with better resources. I'm like, okay. But they also tell me he's on a ventilator. So here we go again, right? Now, you, I've shared with you my experience with the vent over the course of the last year. So, of course, I know this is not a good freaking thing. So now I start getting a little bit more panicked. And uh, I try to go see him. He's in with the CAT scan, so I don't get to see him. Go back up, update mom, tell him, tell her that he's on the vent. The irony being, we find out later the next day that mom's breathing, the lady who gave her breathing treatments was the one who um, put the vent in Polly, and that's why mom didn't get her breathing treatment till late, but that's besides the point. So before I take off for the night, um, and it's late enough now that I decide I'm going to stay at mom's um, and stay close now because now we have Polly in the hospital and mommy in the hospital. I go back down and I'm able to see him and his head is bandaged and he's on the vent, you know, and and I'm talking to him and, and there's different doctors now and they're asking me questions and I tell him the Uber story that I just told you. And they said, well, we're going to move him. He has a brain bleed. We're going to move him to Yale, which is a really good hospital in Connecticut. And I had had an ex-boyfriend that had brain surgery there. He was an epileptic all his life. And he went to Yale for brain surgery. And when he got out, he's never had a seizure since. So my confidence went up. Okay, he's going to Yale. I'm okay with that. So... I kind of have my words, you know, tell Polly I love him, like, come on now. And um, he goes to Yale. So then I go to mom's house and they go to sleep. And I shut off the notifications on my watch so that I can try to get some rest. Because again, emotionally draining. Need my sleep. And I'm thinking I'm not going to hear anything till the morning, right? I've never gone through this. So I wake up at 5. First thing I do is check my phone. Sure enough, I've missed calls from New Haven, which is where Yale is. So I call back and a lady gets on the phone with me and um, proceeds to tell me she couldn't get a hold of me. So she called Paul's brother and sister and they were on their way down from New Hampshire and, and Massachusetts. But the brain bleeds were severe and they weren't operable. And they weren't treatable medically and that we'd have to have a family meeting pretty quick. Um, It was, you know, more a matter of time than treatable. So now I have to tell my mother. So I call and I wake up uncle number two. And I'm like, this is the situation. Will you go with me to the hospital to tell mom? And he gets up and I meet him. And the hospital won't let us in. You know, they want to make sure that mom's okay. That's their patient. And they have to take care of her. So another level of stress, right? So my uncle and I decide that we'll wait until after 7 o'clock, right? After the shift change because they tried telling me to come back during normal visiting hours at 11 o'clock. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? So we talked to security and whatever, and we decide that we'll wait until after shift change. 
And worst case scenario, the hospital administration would be in at 8 o'clock. So we go next door and we have breakfast. And while we're there, they had my mother call me. And I asked her, I was like, did they have you call me? And she's like, yeah, what's going on? So we had to freaking tell her on the phone. The same way I had to tell my brother that mom was in the hospital on the phone. Um, not easy conversations. So she says, okay, well, they said you can come in only one visitor. So I go up and, and my poor uncle can't come in with me. Um, I go up, I said, well, this is what they're saying. Um, we'll have to have a family meeting later and talk. I said, you know, Paul's brother and sister are on the way down. This is what we'll do. I said, I'm going to go down and say goodbye to him and I'll come back and we'll have the family meeting. I'll help you with the technology and we'll, we'll zoom from here, right? Bobby's in action mode. No time for freaking feeling our feelings, right? So my uncle decides he's going to be my babysitter for the day. Now, just in case I didn't bridge the gap. This is the uncle whose daughter was ran over by the car, right? So his sister's in the ICU, his daughter's going through all this stuff, and now he's trying to take care of me. And he's about the next most drained person in this uh, ecosystem other than myself, and here he is still trying to give and take care of me. So we start driving down to the hospital, and Paul's sister calls me, and she's at the hospital and she says, you know, um, we're going to have to have the family meeting sooner. I said, well, I'm already in route. And um, problem solver Bobby, right? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to still come down. And um, I call my brother and said, listen, you need to go sit with mom and you're going to have to help with the technology for this call. We'll call you from the hospital. And um, I get to the hospital. <laughs> they won't let my uncle in there either. Um, and now I'm meeting Paulie's family for the first time. Now, mom knows them and everything, but with me living in Kansas for a while, me living in New York and stuff, I just had never had the opportunity to meet them. So my first time meeting them is in this hospital-like boardroom where the doctor is explaining, you know, kind of the severity and, and um, letting us know that it was just a matter of, of time and that if anybody had to say goodbye that we should call them pretty swiftly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm not sure if I fully processed this one. Um, so I call Paul's boss, who I knew was very important, and then his, his brother-in-law. And now it was get back to the hospital to mom. You know, me and uncle, me and my uncle both got it to go in and, and say our goodbyes and get back to the hospital to be with mom and he was gone by quarter to three that afternoon so I had left his house at at four the prior day and he was gone by quarter to three the next day um, things happen fast guys don't take stuff for granted never never in a million years did I see that coming not in the midst of all that stuff. Polly was my partner in navigating all this mom stuff. He, he was someone I could tell all my secrets to. He was the closest thing I had to a father. 
like someone who cared and supported me and even when I called and talked to his his work they were like yeah he was so proud of you he was proud of you for you know the podcast and the dream of 321 and um just he he was just one of one of my you know best friends whether we sat in silence on the back porch or we gossiped and bitched about all the crazy people in the family so now of course mom is in the hospital wicked eager to take care of you know the services and and what does that look like and he's a vet and you know she now becomes anxious I still have to move out of my my house, my apartment. Now, I was a little busy and not having much luck, like, selling my belongings and stuff. Because, like, I wasn't moving into a new place. I was just downsizing my life to prepare to go be in an RV. Which, I guess that's another another um, reminder of my, my faith in the universe. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. And now I'm, you know, prepared to stay with mom because I don't have a real address anymore at this particular point in time. And and that's kind of where we're at. So at this point, it's still unsettled. Where is she going to go? And it ends up, I think the Friday before 4th of July, they call me and say, she's coming home. On Sunday. What? She's coming home. You told me she would be going to, um, like a rehab center to do physical therapy and speech therapy and all these things. And, and now you're telling me home, she's going to be home in 48 hours. Now, mind you again, selfish Bobby was like, okay, if she's in a, a facility, I have a few weeks to get the house straightened out. Cause all I've been doing with my move is loading up my car from New York when I go back down just dropping and going so there's a pile of shit in the garage there's a pile of shit in the spare room there's just stuff all over there's no rhyme or reason I have no idea where anything is because I'm just dropping going dropping going and now she comes home on Sunday and you know it's just the apartment's not set up or her house is not set up I'm not set up. I don't have a few weeks to get back into the swing of work, which was part of my intention. I thought I would have some, some rhythm and routine. Um, and nope, I, I ended up, I called my brother and asked him for help. And I called, um, you know, everybody throughout the course of tragedy says, is there anything I could do? Is there anything I could do? And, you know, I would tell people if, what I needed them to do was to leave me alone. (laughs) Um, I would tell them that like, Hey, I'm just not up for talking. Or if I needed to talk, I tell them that, or I told them, you know, Hey, I might need help with a garage sale because we need to get rid of stuff. And then once Polly passed away, now that became even bigger. Uh, so I took advantage and there was a light flickering and didn't know how to price Polly's tools, like all these things. So people came over and helped me on that Saturday and boom, mom was home 4th of July Sunday. And I've been, I've been talking for quite a while here. So I think I will leave you off here. Um, 
in future episodes, I'll, I'll let you know what it's like since 4th of July and probably share or expand on some of, you know, more of the learnings, but the biggest couple points that before I go, I want to remind you of is allowing for grace. You know, I had to be okay and allow myself the grace to manage the situation and the people and my tasks the way I did. I'm sorry I abandoned the show for a couple months. Yeah, could I have made a better effort or fought through? Probably, but I just, I just didn't. I just didn't feel like I could. Um, another lesson is we can stay bet free or sober or somewhat healthy, even when tragedy strikes, if we have the right resources. I mean, I was going to group. I was talking to the counselor. I have the kind of people in my life that I can call any time of day or night that will help me process or talk or just let me scream or be bitchy or be happy. And this is what I encourage you guys to do is to have those people in your life, to stay self-devoted and true to yourself, to give yourself grace, to be kind to yourself and others. Like all this stuff is not just about being on a soapbox and telling you guys to do the thing. I tell you to do the things because the things are important for us to survive. Now, I'm, I'm happy to report and I will fill in the gaps of July, but I am in a reset mode right now to where I could get back on, on the horse, so to speak, and get my life back in order. And if I went back and I fucking gambled during this, I would have not been able to be there for myself, for my mother, for Polly when I was, and for all the people. And I would be the next one being buried or hospitalized because that's what the next bet will do. Thanks, guys, for uh, listening, and I will talk to you soon. Oh